right, good evening, everybody. What a beautiful day today was, man. If you're outside, if you're inside, I don't mean to rub it in. It was just gorgeous. Looks like we had a whole week of it. Let's pray and we'll begin. Lord, we thank you for this time, as Aaron already prayed, um, to gather together midweek, kind of get refreshed, uh, have some of your word planted in our hearts, and we just pray that we'd receive it with gladness today. There's so much beauty, as Paul shares with the Colossians, about who you are and what you've done for them. And uh, how complete it is, how perfect it is, how we're done. It's finished, it's finished. And I just pray that we have that rest in our hearts after we leave tonight, that peace, just that reassurance. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This Saturday, men's breakfast, I believe. And uh, what time does that start, David? 7 o'clock, 7 a.m. And then uh, Sunday, uh, after the second service, we'll be doing a walkthrough of our Easter presentation um, for next year, uh, we're going to kind of walk the land and kind of see where our stations are and go through the script and all that if you're interested in just tagging along. It doesn't matter whether you've signed up or not. Um, if you haven't and you just want to kind of explore it and join us, welcome to do that. That'll be after second service. I suppose, what do you think, 1245 we'll start walking? That's fair. So it's about 1245 we'll just walk around. How long do you think that'll take? Yeah, not long at all, 30 minutes. Then you can eat your Sunday lunch. And the crowds will be gone. It'll be perfect for you. So if you want to join us for that, that'll be this Sunday after second service. All right. Tonight we're in Colossians chapter 2. And Aaron, I apologize. I didn't give you my notes, so there won't be any scriptures up on the screen. That's my fault, not his. Um, As Paul writes to the Colossians and is sharing with them a little different message uh, in the sense that Before, in our last book, he talked about what it means to be a Christian and what we're to look like and what we're to act like and how to behave. You know, it's all new, and there's no fault there. You learn. You got to learn. This Colossians book, though, is about who Christ is, not who not who we are, but who Christ is. And um, he has to do that because he's never been to this church before. It's not one that he was a part of, as far as planting goes. Um, and he's heard that they've received Christ, but he's also heard there's some, there are some doctrines and philosophies that have crept into the church. And I think that's the best way to describe it. I think crept. <laughs> they sneak in. And they sneak in, I believe, when we leave cracks in our faith in the sense that we don't understand our own faith. And so we're kind of open to, well, that seems okay. That seems all right. But we don't have such a grounded, steadfast understanding of our faith um, that almost anything can sound okay if it sounds nice. That must be Jesus. It sounds nice, you know, kind of thing. I, I, I use the example all the time, I think I do, especially of the garden and, and the tree of life. Um, they ate of the knowledge of good and evil, and they weren't supposed to, but the tree of life was there. and. God says his, his word was, don't eat of it, but they were left open to it. It was available all the time. I would think, if you don't want us to eat it, cut it down, you know, kind of thing. Um, or put a fence around it, or whatever. Um, his word needs to be enough. Um, his command needs to be enough that keeps us from going near these things. I don't, he doesn't want to restrain us. He doesn't want to handcuff us. He doesn't want to put us on a leash or a tether. Um, he wants um, our, or his word to be enough. And uh, every time I go to the zoo, it's inevitable. And I, forgive me if I touch a nerve with some of you. I, I don't mean to. I don't know how you raise your children. I can't stand the children leashes. Can't stand them. I understand why they've got, I don't know, well, I don't really understand why, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they've got one of those kids, I guess. But to put a harness on the child and then to leash it at the zoo so that you can maintain control, well, it just says that we haven't worked on the first-time obedience and we haven't worked on your voice should be enough. you know. And Christ doesn't want to do that to us. He wants us to hear his voice and to do it, to hear the leading of the Spirit. He actually gives us his Holy Spirit, which resides in us to be conviction, to be our our guide, to be that still small voice. 
that says, this is the way, walk in it. Don't go to the right, don't go to the left, listen to me. And we're to obey that voice. And he doesn't want to bat us around and force us. He wants us to hear that still small voice and obey it. And so Paul's trying to fill in cracks is all. Because somewhere along the line, they, they were taught or they were deceived into thinking that there was more to what they received or what they didn't receive in the gospel. And that was all that was supposed to be shared, and that was all that was supposed to be received, and that was supposed to be enough. See, we think the gospel is a very simple message, and it is, but it is, it is a complete message from God. And it supplies all that we lack. And although there may not be many words to the gospel, there's a very deep, deep promise from God that when thought about and meditated on and explored just the gospel, it, it brings a rich walk with our God. It's very simple. So, that was a long introduction. Verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. As for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You don't need to go beyond Christ. There is no more knowledge or wisdom to be earned or had or understood that's outside of Christ. It's all in Jesus, and he wants him to understand that. He wants him to know that they have it all. That, that is usually how these things creep in. There is someone who has a, a philosophy or a thought that they've come up with. They've written a book or a pamphlet or whatever it may be. And the way to sell something like that is to make the people around you feel like they have less than what you do, and that if they want to attain to your level, they'll accept what you have to sell, basically. And that's what's happened. They've come in and crept into this church, and they've told them, I've, I've underst- we understand you've received the gospel, but there's more. There's more. And the way Paul words this, it almost gives away the snake oil salesman's pitch. It's mysterious and it's hidden knowledge, but I've discovered it and God's given it to me for you because he describes what they have already as all the mystery and all the wisdom and all the knowledge that you could ever need or want. Kind of undermining that sales pitch of this doctrine. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Peter has the same understanding as Paul and tries to share that. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. The reverse engineer, that is, we've been saved from lust and uh, the corruption of this world, and we can be partakers of the divine nature through the precious promises that he's given to us through the knowledge of him. That's just doing it in reverse. That's all it is. The knowledge of him brings us all of that fruit packed in those three little verses. The knowledge of him, that's it. We're quite an upside-down world right now, you know. Boycott this and boycott that. I've been boycotting the latest boycott since I got saved at the age of 19. That's not even an issue for me. I don't care what's on the can. (laughs) I've been set free from that. I don't have to decide another brand. See, I, I... I believe these things. I was dumb enough and young enough to receive the word of God and just believe that this book had everything and there was nothing else anywhere else that could offer me anything. And of course, everybody, you know, not everybody, but many people. Oh, you know, what, what other books do you read? Who, who other, what other authors? What other? In fact, I had a lunch here. <laughs> we were at, uh, gosh, what was that place called? It's where the snow cone place is now, but it was before the snow cone place. Doesn't make any difference. I think it was some Jamaican thing or whatever doesn't matter. We ate there and another pastor brought me there. He's a pastor of a different church. He wanted to know what I read. I said, why don't I read the Bible? You know, 
And I wasn't being smart. I was honest. I was just being honest. I wasn't like, I read the Bible only, you know, kind of thing. It's kind of how I feel now. But at the time, I was like, I really don't read anything else. I mean, I don't have other authors. I'm sorry. Now, do you read Piper? Do you read MacArthur? Do you read... Uh, I don't. I really don't. Really? Just read the Bible. Yep. I don't, I don't understand anything else when I read it. I try those other books. And we have books out there in the bookstore. You're welcome to read them and enjoy them. And I'm sure they're a benefit to a little bit, maybe. But none of those books have anything in them other than what's in here. If there's anything of value in those books, it's already been written. And they've just maybe grabbed a subject and targeted it a little bit more and grabbed all those verses for you, you know, fine. Nothing wrong with that. But if I just read this, if we just read this, and we allow the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide, we're going to get everything that pertains to life and godliness and the knowledge of Jesus. I'm going to learn how to parent. I'm going to learn how to be a good husband. I'm going to be a, be a good father. I'll be a good pastor. I'll be a good friend. I'll be a good person. I'll learn how to be a son or daughter of the Most High God as I just read this. It's wonderful. And Paul says that, and Peter says that, and those are two guys that I admire. We've got it. There's a lot of work involved in that, though. I think that's the struggle for people. It's like mining, you know. You dig out like 20 tons of ore just to get a few pounds of what you really wanted, you know, what you're really looking for. Isn't there anybody else that's already smelted this for me to where I can just eat it plain, you know? I love going out to eat. I hate cooking, you know? I just don't like ingredients and, and all that. Give me a box or a package I can open or a can I can undo and warm it up. That's me. I'm lazy that way. I think that's just human nature. Paul is trying to get away from human nature and move us into godly nature. He says it's the glory of God to conceal of manner. It's the glory of kings to search it out. It takes a little effort. So these mysteries that Paul talks about here, he says, you've got them all. You've, you know Jesus. Enjoy that relationship with him. Let that grow. Let that relationship with Jesus mature. It's not done. You don't get introduced to somebody and you've become long lost friends with inside jokes. That comes from time together and experiencing situations. You all have those inside jokes with friends from college or high school or family members or whatever. Hey, remember that one time? Oh, yeah. Well, Jesus is no different. You know? You don't meet him and that's it. And Paul's just saying, spend time with him. Take him places. Go where he takes you. Enjoy those times. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with per persuasive words. There, here we go. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. It's a very freeing set of verses there. How you receive Christ, just walk with him that way. Well, how did I receive Christ? I mean, you, I, by faith, he says. You believed on Jesus by faith. They'd never met him before. They'd never run into him. Somebody came along to this city and told them about this Messiah, Jesus. They, this church is in the same condition Calvary Chapel, Maryville, or you were in when you got saved. We never met Jesus, never walked with him, never ate fish. He never... Gave us boatloads of fish, you know, when we couldn't find any. He never did any of that for us. Somebody just told us about it. And by faith, we believed. He says, now, continue that walk of faith just like that. Let him reveal more and more to you. And be rooted and be built up. It's a process, he's telling us. Jenny's out there planting the garden, you know. Had a good brother come out and till it up for us with his tractor, and then we do some fine tilling with our little one, and we put in the garden, and they're just seeds now, but there's going to be roots, and it's going to begin to grow, and we expect a harvest at the end of the year. And God's Word and God's walk with Jesus is no different. It takes time, 
It takes a little bit of work and effort on our part to maintain that relationship and continue with him. And Paul's just saying, just do what you've been doing. It's wonderful. See, for, for Paul, a spiritual father in a sense to this church, although he didn't start them, feels that obligation, responsibility to tell them as an older seasoned saint. He's one of the oldest, you know. Don't add anything to what you've got. If anybody understood what waiting on fruit and growth was, it'd be Paul. 14 years he was in the wilderness before he started ministering. 14 years, God took him away and just ministered to him. Undoing all the garbage, because that's what Paul calls it. All the pharisaical garbage. And clarifying what all that pharisaical garbage was supposed to mean and how Christ is the fulfillment of all that pharisaical garbage. And now you can let that pharisaical stuff go and just have Christ. And it took a long 14 years for Paul to get to the place where he could write letters like this. We need to give ourselves time with God. Let him grow us. Let him root us. Let us build, let him build us up, established in the faith. He's concerned about those who come with deceiving and persuasive words. I have a cross-reference. We don't have time to read it all. It's the entire chapter, 2 Peter chapter 2. But not only does Paul have to deal with it here with the Colossians, Peter, it was so such a problem with the church that Peter writes an entire chapter on the subject of deceivers and fake, fake Christians in the church. And I'd encourage you to read that on your own. I don't think we have time to read the whole chapter. It's just well worth reading to understand that there are those that come around like clouds that offer rain but have none. Simply meaning it sounds like there's some wonderful pot of gold at the end of their rainbow, but there really isn't by the time you've ran over 12 hills and 100 miles later, there's nothing there. It was a barrage. It was just eye candy. And Peter's just trying to save them the trip, and so is Paul here. They're trying to take you on a trip that does not yield any fruit to your life or to your walk with Jesus. You're, you're content and, and, and steadfast and solid in, in your relationship with him. It is a relationship. See, if it was a philosophy, I could understand searching out new experts in the field. That makes sense, you know. Um, if you want to be a good salesman, you'll go to this person and learn their sales technique, and then you'll learn uh, go to that seminar and learn about that. If that's what Christianity is, that it's a picking up of other people's methods and trying to adopt them into your own life, then I can understand this, which is what the world only knows that. That's all they know. So if you're kind of a carnal Christian or you're not a born-again Christian, you've come into this philosophy of Christianity, that's what you sell. I'll teach the Bible Wednesdays and Sundays as long as I have breath and have a mind to do it. But that cannot convey, will not convey, except by the Holy Spirit in you receiving His Word. That's that relationship with God, is this is not a philosophy. This isn't one of many other religions out there. This isn't a choice. It's a person, you know. And as you spend time with this person, Jesus Christ, as you spend time with this friend and this God and this King and this Lord, and you understand all that he is, you become like him, you begin to emulate him and act like him. You know how you have a strong personality in your friendship? Somebody's got the strong personality, and you, the other starts acting like the other. Can't help it. You start picking up on their verbiage and you start walking and talking. And I've seen this in my own house with my girls and my sons and their friends sometimes. I'm like, you don't act like that normally. Who have you been around? You know, I don't know. I, I can tell by you doing that. I'll just look around church or whoever and see who's doing that. You adopted their personality traits. Well, Good and bad, hanging out, hang around with Jesus, you'll start talking like him. You'll start acting like him. He's a very strong personality. It's a good thing. He's a person to be experienced and to enjoy and to talk with and for him to speak life into you. He does that. He's concerned. I say this lest anyone should deceive you. Now, he doesn't write this unless it's already happened. So he's being kind. 
I'm just writing this just in case anybody comes and tries to deceive you with persuasive words. He's already heard that they are. That's why he's writing it. So verse 8, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. When we first started this church here, we bought an ad at the Hangar Theater, and this is the scripture that we used. It's just, I mean, you know, it's already awkward enough when you, when, you, when you have to see the dentist one again, you know, no offense, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's been three years, you guys really got to freshen this up a little bit. But, but then when the screen goes black and this scripture goes scrolling through, you know, especially if you're at the wrong movie that you shouldn't be at, you know, <laughs> beware. And the guy read it just like it sounds. I'll read it like it sounded in the theater. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the... You know, can you imagine that at the theater? You're your popcorn going, ah. Oh. Enjoy yourselves, you know? Oops. (laughs) Well, that's what we get. Because that's one of the biggest problems is the traditions of men and the traditions we've grown up with that if we were never taught the Bible, we wouldn't know the difference between a tradition and a biblical principle. You just don't. We have traditions here. I'm not saying we're we are a traditionalist church. No, we have traditions. We just we have a we have a Christmas Eve service. You don't have to come to that. It's a tradition that we do. And now we've got a new tradition, a Good Friday service. We just did. We're going to do another one next year. That's a tradition. You don't have to do that. You don't have to take a five minute break in between the singing and the teaching. You know, no nobody else ever does that. Well, we do because we got to check kids in and stuff. It just happened to work. And everybody needs their coffee because you're. A bunch of addicts, but those are traditions. Those are just traditions. They're not biblical. You'll never find a scripture, and they can go tomorrow. We can care less, you know. We don't hold on to those. But if you've never been taught the Bible, you wouldn't know. If you didn't own a Bible, you're like, five-minute break. It must be in Leviticus someplace, you know. No, it's just, just something we decided to do because it worked Um it just works for us. That's why we do that. Anyway, Paul's just trying to encourage them in something they should already know, but maybe they don't think they have permission to follow is you're okay with Jesus and your walk with him. And he has you by the hand. You don't have him by the hand. And you can trust his strength and his ability to hold on to you. He's not going to lose track of you. He's not going to lose you. Now, you can walk away from him if you choose to, but he's not going to let go of you. When you walk across the street with your little three-year-old or your two-year-old and you're learning, you don't let him hold on to your finger and walk across the street. Why? Because if a car comes, the point of holding on to him is to, you can't trust their strength to hold on to my finger to get him out of the way of a car that didn't stop like they were supposed to. No, you take a hold of their hand. Not that you should jerk a kid. Don't bang you know, their shoulders. I know, I know, I know. I'm saying, though, you don't trust their strength. You trust your strength to hold on to them. And he's just trying to tell them that. God has a hold of you. There's nothing more to have. He's not slipping away. It's empty deceit. It's a philosophy. And that's because it comes from people that only know those things. We can sometimes bring in the principles of the world into the church and expect them to work the same way, and they don't. I'm all for organization. I think it's important. I think God's a God of order. That's fine. But we cannot let the organization supersede the power of the Holy Spirit and His guiding and leading in our church, ever. Can't ever be that way. And so he's trying to encourage them in that. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 10 through 12, um, he says this. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good and bad, or bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how do you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. That's a weird cross-reference. I understand that. 
for this section. The idea is we are given a robe of righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ. And this is a whole, this is a metaphor. This Matthew 22, Jesus is teaching, is a metaphor for the kingdom of God. You're given a wedding robe, a wedding garment that you're required to wear at this wedding. And this is the only garment that's authorized for this wedding is the righteousness of Christ. And I want all to come in and all are welcome, but you try to, it kills two birds with one stone. You try to bring, you try to come in without the righteousness of Christ, it's not going to work. But it doesn't matter who you are under the righteousness of Christ, you've got the righteousness of Christ. I bring that up because universal salvation is being repackaged now if you know what universal salvation is. Universal salvation is this. Jesus died for the sins of the world. Everybody goes to heaven. They just don't realize it because if they understood what Christ had done, when they get to heaven, they'll realize all things and they'll be like, oh, of course we believe in Jesus. We just didn't understand it fully when we were there. And so therefore everybody's saved. No one goes to hell. That's universal salvation. Well, that's the, it's been repackaged now into progressive Christianity. That's what progressive Christianity is. I just use a new name is all. Um, Christ's death on the cross is not punitive, it, and so on. There's many, many aspects of it. It's nothing new. Well, Jesus says otherwise. Um, and that's important. So that's why I said it kills two birds with one stone. He says here that it doesn't matter whether you're good or bad, as long as you have the righteousness of Christ, that's how you enter. You believed on Jesus, which is what applies to this section. You're complete in him. Doesn't matter if it fits well. <laughs> It doesn't matter if it's too long, too short, or if it, you've got it. Okay, that's the idea. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you. But it also tells us that this one that tried to get into the wedding feast without the garment is not allowed to stay. Okay, um, it's unacceptable. So that's why I brought that up and used that reference is because it applies here also to this section. Everybody needs to understand that Jesus has the Godhead complete in him bodily. I mean, he's the total package. Um, he, he, he is God come in the flesh, and, and you can't move away from that. Um, that's one of the foundations of Christianity. It's not something that can be negotiable. This is something that's, oh, we're just not going to argue about these small things. It isn't a small thing. It's a, it's a very important matter. Um, because the Father calls him God, because the Father said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, you know, listen to him. And the Holy Spirit, in a separate form, falls upon him at the baptism. So we've got the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. You've got the Trinity here. And so it's, it's a very important understanding and belief um, to know who he is. Because if he was just a man and died sinless, well, then we don't need God at all. It can be done. It can be accomplished. Somebody can live according to the rules perfectly enough that they don't need salvation from God. And therefore, the law is just and works, and anybody, even if it's one, gets to go to heaven, and the rest, well, they just failed at their attempt to complete the law. Um, Jesus has to be God come in the flesh. He has to be perfect. He has to be sinless. So there's a lot attached to these things. They're not just uh, whimsical doctrines that we can take or leave, okay? Um, Anyway, verse 11. In him, in Jesus... You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In other words, you don't need to be, because this is what's happened, you know. Wherever the church is birthed, along come the Judaizers saying, well, that's great, but you need to be circumcised as well. And Paul's here to say, no, you have been. It's a past tense thing. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. (laughs) He's like, no, don't look down. I'm just saying it's something without hands. It's not something that you do bodily. It's a spiritual circumcision that's taken place if you're in Christ. So with this, as we go through this, as he says many, many things about being in Christ, just understand that whatever happened to Jesus at the cross, at the resurrection, with the baptism, with all these things, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've placed yourself in Christ, the Holy Spirit, and we're going to read that section of Scripture, you're in Christ Everything that happened to him has happened to you. That's it. There's not a second moment where he wasn't an example for us to, like, I need to now go to a cross. And, and, and then he did this, so now I need to do that. No, when it happened to him, now that you're a believer in Jesus, it has happened to you. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled every obligation to get to heaven, and you're in Christ. 
That's what Paul's trying to say. You're so complete, you don't even understand how complete. You're so complete, you can just enjoy and explore the completeness. You don't even have to understand the completeness. That's something you can develop and grow in, and, and that's what the knowledge and the wisdom is. It's like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm that saved, and now I'm super saved in that and that. Nothing's happened to me more than what happened when I received Christ. I'm just understanding the salvation better. Ever since my kids were babies, they've lived with Jenny and I. They didn't understand what was happening, but they've never been more safe than they were the first day they came to me and to Jenny. They were never loved anymore. They've always been loved. They were never fed or taken care of anymore later on in life than they were the first day they came. They were in our home. They were under our care. They were under our love. They were under our authority. They were under our protection. They were in our family. They were our children. They didn't become our children or more of our children later. You understand? When you're adopted into the into the Father's kingdom and you become a child, a, a, a son or a daughter of the Most High God, that's it. Adoption papers signed. You have full rights. You can't get any more um, offspringy, excuse me, than that. You know, I better drink. Getting foamy up here. It's complete. And that's all Paul's trying to say. You're in him. You're circumcised. You were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He's really driving the point home. You've been forgiven of everything. Past, present, and future sins are covered under Jesus. They've all been nailed to the cross. A couple scriptures that we have to go through just for maintenance here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Verses 12 through 14 describes what happens when you're a believer. You become a believer. It isn't a philosophy that you adopt and choose. It's something the Spirit does for you. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. The Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus. Okay, He's baptized us. When we think baptism, we just automatically think of water all the time. It's just drilled into our heads. There are many baptisms in Scripture. There's this one that we just read about, the Holy Spirit bringing us to Christ. He baptizes us into Christ. That's how it's described. There's water baptism for sure. I know many of you, or not many, about three or four have asked to be baptized, and we're going we're gonna to do one soon. I, I was going to do one, in, we're going to do one in July with grace again, but I thought a lot of people don't want to wait that long. So anyway, that's water baptism, absolutely. Then there's a baptism of fire. I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus does in turn baptizes us, which we're going to read here next. And Paul says, there's a distinction between the gospel and baptism of water, with water. And, and it's important to know, because that's one of those traditions that we grew up with, many people grew up with, unfortunately, including myself, that somehow or another that water baptism was a part of my salvation, or had to do with my salvation, and it doesn't. And that's scriptural, not a Calvary thing. It's a biblical doctrine. And so that's why I say that when he talks about this, when he says here, buried with him in baptism, the Holy Spirit has baptized us in Christ. It's done. That's why we talked about the thief on the cross so much and focused on that on Sunday. The thief is the perfect example of what salvation looks like. It's moment. It's a moment. It, it happens instantly. There's no steps afterwards. There's no sinner's prayer. There's, no, there's an acknowledgement of my sin, an acceptance of the responsibility. There's an acknowledgement of who Jesus is and a complete trust in placing your life into his hands. That's salvation, complete and total, and there's no more to it than that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, Paul just tries to straighten this out. Is, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? 
Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, except for Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. You would think that if that was essential for salvation, that Paul would have thought it was very important and wouldn't thank God that he didn't do it, but would be sad, (laughs) brokenhearted that he didn't complete the task, that he left so many people dangling over hell. Oh, they received the gospel, but they weren't baptized. Oh, so close. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. There's a distinction between the two. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, I'm not knocking water baptism. I'm just placing it on the emphasis that it needs to be placed with. It's an action that takes place after salvation. It's something you do because you're saved. It's something that happens as your first act of obedience to God in your life, for sure. But it can't be a part of salvation. It's It's a thing then. It's a step. And the thief can't be saved. Romans 6, verse 3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized unto his death? Romans 6, Paul writes it, explains what he's talking about right here to the Colossians. If you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death. It's by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, Who then, when they had come down, came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is is that right there. They had only believed and only been baptized in Jesus. Interesting. It's a lot there for a Wednesday night. But anyway, Paul's trying to encourage him. You've, you've, You've got it. You've got it. You have it. Everything that you needed is done. When you came to faith in Christ, that was the Holy Spirit baptizing you into one body. You're done. It's, it's finished. It's complete. If you haven't had it happen to you yet as a new believer, someone will ask you, in what name were you water baptized? In the name of Jesus only? Or in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? There's actually an argument in the church about that. I just smile, because can you imagine your salvation being that perilous? Can you imagine going up to heaven? He says, wait a minute, before you get into the pearly gates, did you get Jesus' name only or the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I don't know, you know. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I think. I really wasn't paying attention. He put me under so fast. My, you know, <laughs> I don't know what happened. We have to watch the instant replay on that. You know? How much water did you use? Were you sprinkled as a baby? Were you sprinkled with water? We had one gal here. Um, it was Dale's sister. It was, it was, uh, it was, uh, where is, where'd he go? Oh, he's gone. He went back with the kids, I think. Anyway, she had cancer and couldn't get and can't walk out and be immersed. And So we did it with a chair. And we just poured the water right on her head right here in the sanctuary. I don't know. Was that enough water? Did she get up there? And they, how many milliliters was that? You know, I use milliliters just to drive you Americans crazy there. <laughs> or was it total immersion, which is what Scripture says? Well, we do immersion, but if you're scared to death of going under the water, it's okay. We don't have to do that. You don't have to be terrified to come to Christ, you know? My goodness. Or a 95-year-old who can't walk. Sorry. I hope you can hold your breath. How terrible is that? We laugh and snicker, but I mean, if you're going to go that route and believe that as a fact, we need to follow it to its logical conclusions. Who then can and cannot be saved? Those who can hold their breath long enough? I mean, come on. It can't be that way. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up with all of Scripture. All right. I beat that down a little bit too much, more than I expected to. Verse 15, it's all been nailed to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. 
It's all there. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not yet seen or not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding, to the, to holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase of this from God. Paul sees it as a beautiful growing thing. The church is just, it's, it's exciting to watch, you know. Everybody loves to do the ultrasound and see the, oh, there it is. Looks like a little bean. Oh, you know. And then you go back a few months later and you check it again. Oh, fingers, you know, and you, and you keep, and that's how Paul saw the church. It's just so exciting to see this thing birth and grow and mature and be knit together by God. It's wonderful. I think verse 16 is worded just perfectly. Don't let anyone. Don't let. It's up to you. They're out there. And they will if you let them. That's up to you. I don't put myself into those positions. I get goaded. They try to get me into emails or sent. And hey, you know, what do you think about this? We had a couple that came and, oh my gosh, that's all they wanted to do every Sunday was write me an email and tell me, you know, hey, I just had a question for you. No, you don't. You want to argue. They just want to argue. And so they get, you know, you get these emails. They're like this long, you know. Dude, you have way too much time on your hands. If you can't make that more concise. So I'd scan it and I'd drive, yep. <laughs> sure. Well, don't be so quick to respond. So I'm asking, I'm I don't know. That's not what I think. You know, just short, oh, they hated that. They just wanted to judge everything that was said and, and wanted to challenge and wanted to, oh my goodness. I just don't let them. And don't come. I don't, it's okay. If I'm not your cup of tea, if, I'm not, if you don't like the way I teach, if you don't like the understand, understanding of Scripture, there's so many churches you can go to. Just feel free. I'm not here to, to appease, you know. Don't let anybody judge you in food or in drink or regarding festivals. He's, he's talking about uh, Judaism. All the festivals, all the new moons, all the Sabbaths, high Sabbaths in your normal everyday, every week Sabbath is found complete in Christ. Yeah, we argue about that too in the church. You worship on Saturday or Sunday? Both. That's not the answer they want to hear. I know you worship on Sunday because you advertise on Sunday. Yeah, but I worship God on Saturday too. And Monday and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday. Well, I mean, when do you meet? Oh, well, we meet on Wednesdays. No, when do you, you know, I just love, I'm probably not right, is it? <laughs> just say it, you know? Just say what you're mad at and get it over with. You worship on Sunday, that means you worship the sun. Saturday is the Sabbath day, it's the seventh day of the week. That's when there was Saturday, blah, 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 blah. oh my goodness. Point them to Scripture and they don't care. Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding festivals or new moons or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Every one of those things, although beautiful to study and helps us to have a full understanding of what Christ has done for us, the Old Testament is amazing for that. You cannot understand the New Testament without the Old Testament pictures. That's what it's for. You get a New Testament truth, you have an Old Testament picture. It's beautiful. Passover, all of it. The Red Sea, the, you know, the, the, the going across the Jordan, the conquering of the land, all these things is, are so vital to understanding what Christ has done for us. And yet they were a shadow, all pointing to, I mean, from the Lamb to every Sabbath, to the, to, to the deliverance, to the baptisms, to all those things are complete in Christ. We now have the one casting the shadow. Why would you ever want to stare at the picture or stare at all these other things? Let no one judge you in the in don't eat this and don't eat that. Wash your hands this way. Wash your hands that way. Cleanse yourself. Stay outside. Do all these rituals. No, no, no. None of that. Here's what he says about this. Because it's going to cheat you of your reward. What's our reward? Freedom and liberty is our reward. We come to Christ, we're free, and we have liberty in Jesus. He's completed everything for us. I'm not advocating for a lack of holiness in the church, don't get me wrong, but I don't think you can get the true holiness that God wants from us unless we understand the liberty and freedom that Christ has given us. That causes us desire, causes us desire to be holy, to fill out the garment of righteousness that he's already put on us. 
Not for it, but from it. It's really interesting how he words this. Because they delight in false humility. There is true humility and there's fake humility. And he he attaches that to the worship of angels. Why? Well, the idea is, I can't come to Jesus. I can't come to the Father. They're too holy. I'm not worthy to be in their presence. I pray to an angel. I pray to somebody else. And they pray for me because I just, and this is what it looks like. It's false humility. That's pride. It's nothing but pride when people say they can't come to Christ. Look, I'll give you two examples here. Peter, not known before the Holy Spirit to say the right things all the time. Following his Messiah, his rabbi, his teacher, and at the Last Supper gets told by Jesus that Jesus is going to have to suffer and die on the cross. They're going to take me. Here's what Peter says in verse 14 of Acts chapter, Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 14. Oh, wait, let's do uh, Matthew 16. Let's do Ma- Matthew 16, 22 through 23. He says this, Then Peter took him, Jesus, aside. Can you imagine? Come here, Jesus. You know what you're talking about. Come here. And began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. He's not your Lord if you're rebuking him. He's not your Lord. If you're telling him, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And here's what Jesus says to Peter. This is harsh, but shows you the importance of, or the foolishness of what Peter just said. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You're prideful, Peter. It's pride. Later on, Peter's trying to figure out how to talk to the Gentiles. Not really. He's just hungry upstairs in a trance, waiting for his lunch to be prepared downstairs. And the Lord speaks to him and drops down a sheet with all sorts of creatures that are considered unclean, according to the Old Testament, food and drink that you're not allowed to eat, according to Levitical law. And tells him, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's response again is, not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, what God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. Peter is encouraged to let God be the Lord. Here's what the Lord says about you coming to the throne of grace and mercy in time of need. You may boldly come to the throne. In Hebrews it says this. You may boldly come to the throne of grace and mercy in time of need. For you to hear that in Scripture and say, I can't come to the throne of grace and mercy, is to do the exact same thing Peter just did. Not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. No, no, no. You don't understand. I said you can come here. I mean, you don't want that kind of tone to be used for someone to come receive grace. But please, our King and Lord of our lives has said, this is where you get grace and mercy. You boldly come here and get it from me. And for you to step back and say, I can't. I need to go to her to have her pray for me. Or I have to go to these angels is false humility. It's actually pride in disguise. That's all it is. I don't have a choice. If I want grace and mercy, I have to boldly come to the throne of Jesus. I don't get to bypass him and find another way. That's, that's not humble. That's prideful for me to say that. And he even says it. You're vainly puffed up in your fleshy minds when you do those sort of things. And not hold fast to the head. He says you need to hold fast to the head. Very important. Verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. We're not to listen to that. We're to listen to what Jesus says and do what he tells us to do. And it's complete. That's what he says in the 
First Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. It doesn't mean you have to eat everything. It means you can eat everything. If you want to be a vegan, be a vegan. But you're not allowed to judge of the people that aren't. And if you're a carnivore, be a carnivore. But you're not allowed to judge others that aren't. Okay? We're called to freedom and liberty to eat whatever you want to eat. Whatever God. Now, I would encourage you, if you're on the mission field, that you eat whatever they place in front of you. I think that's appropriate and it's, it's hospitable. To, to receive their hospitality is to be gracious, and you should do that. I don't think you should say, I'm sorry, I'm a vegan. No, you just got unveganed right there. If they hand you lamb, you eat lamb. You do it. Because that's what they did, and you're trying to bring them Christ. Don't let this food get in the way of what you're trying to share with them eternally. But we can't judge each other for those things. We're not allowed to do those things. That's not fair. That's not right. It's not biblical. These things that I've just mentioned, Paul says, this is where we close, indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. Because although you may judge people for eating meat, you know deep in your heart you want a steak. You know, it didn't take care of that issue in your heart. You know, I don't eat steak. Oh boy, but it'd be tasty if I could. You know, kind of thing. Then you're no more saved than the other guy. This is the idea. Self-imposed religion. Religion is man reaching up to God. Christianity is God reaching down to man. And when we can't accept what Christ has done for us by reaching down to us, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, and in turn turn that into some sort of ladder or stepping stones from here up, we've made and created a religion as opposed to accepting the grace and mercy and giving him all the glory. Because the instant I take one step closer to heaven, I've stolen glory from God. It's not humility, it's pride that causes me to build that staircase from here up. And that's where we close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart to set this church in order. And I pray that we'd receive it. If in any way we've allowed things to creep into our own walk with you, personally or as a fellowship, that is not biblical and it's not according to grace and mercy and you being the king and the Lord and in charge, forgive us and remove it. We confess it or give it up to you. As soon as you bring it to our minds, it's fine. It's yours. And uh, we're going to obey our Lord. We're not going to say, not so, Lord. We're going to say, yes, sir, Lord. And we'll do. And so, God, thank you for this tonight. Thank you for Paul's heart to be so concerned for this church to take the time to write an unpopular letter. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, I'll be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.